0: This evening's scripture is Philippians three, twelve through 4, 1. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. you may be seated.
1: Good evening and welcome. My name is Jason, the staff pastor here at Grace Downtown, and we are so glad that you are here worshiping with us tonight. If you are new here, if it's your first time, or if, just if you feel new, we want to meet you afterwards. So come up and meet myself or one of the worship team or one of the greeters. We would love to meet you and just answer any questions you may have about grace. As you just heard of Andrew Reed. we are continuing in our series through the book of Philippians. We'll be finishing up chapter 3 and beginning with the first verse in chapter 4. As we look at this passage, we see that Paul has a definite goal for his life, and it impacts the way he lives his life. So I want to start tonight by asking the question, what is the goal of your life? What are you after? What are you aiming for? With your life? Now, this can be, it sounds like, an existential question, a philosophical question, but it really makes us consider what are we really after? See, because here's the thing whatever we actually are doing with our life, the things that we are choosing to do with our time, our talent, our money, the the things that we are deciding not to do, the sacrifices that we are making, the things that we are striving after, show what our real goal in life is is. No matter what our stated goal is, the things that we are doing actually show what our goal is. Because isn't it true that whatever we spend our time doing, that is actually what our lives are really about and what we value the most. And the fact of the matter is that if we set our mind to do something, if we strive after something, we can achieve it. Now, I don't mean some kind of new agey, manifest it by speaking it into existence kind of thing. Because at the end of the day, no matter how hard I desire to be an Olympic gymnast, why are you laughing? It's my dream. It's not happening for me. Okay, it's not happening for me. I have been six foot three since 10th grade and I cannot do a pull up. Gymnastics is not in my future. No matter how hard I try, no matter what sacrifices I make, I could quit my job right now and just focus on becoming an Olympic gymnast, and it's not happening for me. So that's not what we're talking about here. But the fact of the matter is, when we decide to do something, and we start making sacrifices and changes in that direction, we start to become that thing if we decide that we're going to be a more healthy person we start making more healthy choices and we are inevitably then going to be a more healthy person tonight as we open up the scripture we see paul's goal for his life we also see the church's goal the goal that paul says the church in philippi should have and thereby we as god's church should have as well we are going to talk a little bit about what jesus's goal was uh, both when he was here on earth and now as he sits at the right hand of God. And in it, we will find a goal worth living for ourselves. Would you pray with me as we open up the scriptures together? Father, thank you. Thank you that you have spoken through your word and spirit and people. And thank you that you have a word for us tonight. Father, I believe you have a word tonight. You want to speak to each one. Thank you, Father, that while I don't know each person here, Father, you do. And I pray that you would speak through your spirit to each one of us exactly what we would need to hear. God, show us what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. Show us what it looks like to strive after the upward call of Christ that you have given to us because of all that Christ has done. And we pray most of all, Father, that you would be glorified in the things we say and do and think about tonight and into this week as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you haven't already, open up to Philippians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 12. We are going to take a look at these verses, talk about them a little bit, and then make some very concrete application for us here at Grace Downtown. So Philippians 3 verse 12. Paul writes, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So the first thing that we need to do as you see up on the screen I underlined the word this. We need to know what the this is talking about. Here Paul says I haven't obtained this. What is he speaking of? Well, if we go back to last week's sermon and the section right before this in verses 7 through 11, we hear Paul talk about two primary things. First, that he considers Christ more valuable than all other things in his life. In fact, he says they're rubbish in the Greek, it means dung, it means poop. It means refuge. It means things thrown out with the garbage and the sewage. He considers everything else like that compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing who Jesus is. The second thing that Paul says is he desires to walk in resurrection power, that his life would be marked by the power of the resurrected Savior and the spirit of the living God which lives inside of him. That's his two desires for his life. And here Paul tells us, I have not obtained that yet. It tells us two things. He looks forward to the day he will, which we'll talk more about that in just a moment, but it also tells us that he does not feel like he has arrived. Do you come in here tonight knowing that there are things that you need to grow in, knowing that there are things that you need to overcome, knowing that there are things that you need to stop doing if you are a citizen of heaven, things you need to start doing if you are a citizen of heaven? Well, you are in good company. You are in good company in the guy uh, writing this text. You are in good company with the people sitting around you. And you are in good company with this preacher as well. We know what we should be obtaining. We know what we should be going after. We know how we should value Christ above all things. We've been preaching about it through Philippians and every single Sunday you've heard a sermon here. We've been talking about how Christ and the gospel is the motivating principle of our lives. But here Paul is saying, I haven't obtained it yet. I'm not walking in the way that I know I'm supposed to. And let's just take a big, deep breath and thank God and rejoice in the grace of this passage. Rejoice that Paul has the humility to say, I haven't obtained all this. I'm still a work in progress and so are you. He wants to remind the church of that and I think it's important for us to remember as well. He says though that he is striving after those things. He is striving after righteousness. He is striving after valuing Christ above all things. He is striving after living out resurrection power. And why is he striving after those things? He tells us here because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because he belongs to Christ. Because he has a new master. Because Christ has made him his. Look back with me at verse 9 of chapter 3 from last week. Paul writes, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. He says, Christ has made me his own. I am found in Christ. And what he means by this is that Christ's righteous life was lived on his behalf. So this side of heaven, he, nor you, nor me will obtain everything that it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. But someday we will. So now, how can we be made right with God? As we just read from Amos, how can I have a relationship with you when there is a gap between us? That gap between us and the Heavenly Father, the one that created us, is sin. Because, see, we've gone our own way. We've traded his mercy and grace for a pair of shoes, is what Amos said. The very vivid, raw, crude picture of what we have traded in instead of being the citizen of heaven that God has called us to be. Paul says, I'm found in his righteousness. It's what Christ has done. It's his righteous perfection, his death in my place, and the resurrection life I have because of his spirit. That's what my life is. Is about so there's certain things that I am striving after look with me at verses 13 and 14 brothers I do not consider that I have made it my own but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus here he restates the same thing he has a goal and it's affecting his actions He has a goal, and it's affecting his actions. What is the goal? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call. As usual, Paul means many things with one phrase. He is very gifted with language. He wrote half of the New Testament. He is very gifted with language. And here he means many things when he says the upward call. A few that we can know for sure. Based on the context of this entire passage that we're talking about here tonight, he means The upward call is the opposite of an earthly view or an earthly call. We're about to talk about what it looks like to have our eyes focused on the things of the earth and for our God to be our belly and our view not to be on that upward call. So the opposite of that is the upward call of Christ. An upward call also literally means an upward call to where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, a heavenly call, a call for the kingdom come is what he's talking about here. The upward call of Christ is a focus off of ourselves and upward towards Christ and his glory and his purposes. Paul says, that's my goal. And because of that goal, I strain in verse 13 and I press on. I strain and I press on. So he's talking about striving, pressing on, straining towards because of what is already his in Christ. Often we think that effort and striving and pressing on and straining is opposed to grace. Effort is not opposed to grace. Earning is opposed to grace. You cannot earn anything by striving, straining, and pressing on. You cannot earn righteousness. You cannot earn citizenship in heaven. You cannot earn the power of God. You cannot earn salvation or heaven or the kingdom come by your own striving. Paul is clearly saying he strives, strains, and presses on and fixes his eyes on who God is and the upward call of Christ because of who he already is. Because Christ has called him his own. That's what Paul is saying here. So he lives a certain kind of life. An upward call on his life. An upward call means that we realize that everything we see with our eyes is not all there is. That everything we see on this earth, that of the flesh, that of the created order, is only part of the reality. There is a heavenly reality. There is a kingdom that is still to come. There is a spiritual reality. There is Jesus literally sitting at the right hand of the Father. And Paul is saying, I believe all those things are just as real as the chair I sit in or the podium I stand at. That's what it means to have the upward call of God on your life and to strive after living for that kingdom So how do we strive? Paul's gonna get a little bit more specific on what this striving looks like in verses 15 through 17. Let those of you who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So he gives us an example of what striving and pressing on looks like. And there's two parts to it. But before I get into that, I want to remind us that both in verse 13 and in verse 17, uh, the English translation has said brothers, but in the Greek it's brothers and sisters. And next week, we're going to have an entire sermon on how men and women co-labor for the gospel together, and it was just assumed that men and women served alongside one another in the church. So this letter is written to the entire church. Paul makes a point of that. We're going to make a point of it in a whole sermon next week. So there's two parts to what Paul is saying here. We're going to take the second part first because it makes more sense that way. Verse 17, Paul is telling us, imitate those that are imitating Christ. Imitate those that are imitating Christ. What Paul is describing here is discipleship. Verse 17 is discipleship. When I say the word discipleship, whether you've been in the church a minute or your entire life, you have things that come to your mind. I could spend the rest of the night listing off all the things that may come to your mind when I say discipleship, and it's usually based on your church background. If Grace Community Church is the first church you've been a part of, when you think of discipleship, you think of things we call discipleship. If you grew up in another church, you think about what they did for discipleship. Usually our church background is how we define discipleship. So some of the ways that we have defined discipleship are some of the things that we picture, the concrete examples when we talk about discipleship. We may think about classes. Maybe you've had discipleship classes in your church. Maybe you think of discipleship and you think about doing a Bible study. Maybe you think about meeting one-on-one with someone who is discipling you and they're your discipler. Maybe you think about studying the Bible in groups. Maybe you think about community groups here at Grace. Maybe you've been in a church that had a discipleship pastor where it was someone's role, apparently, to disciple everyone in the church. There's something you think about when you hear the word discipleship. Instead of giving us the word here, Paul gives us a picture, a practical outworking Of what discipleship looks like he says imitate join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us there's a vivid example of this in first Thessalonians chapter 1 6 & 7 where Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica you became imitators of us and of the Lord For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. Here's what Paul is saying. We imitate Christ, you imitate us, and then others are imitating you. That's discipleship. You can do it a number of different ways. That's the first part that we're going to talk about in just a minute. You can do it a number of different ways, but it needs to look like that. Because the disciple is a student of Jesus. So a student of Jesus, a disciple, does what Jesus did. And then, then you become a teacher. And then you teach someone else, and they are your student. And then they disciple someone. He is showing us what discipleship looks like. And we know that this is God's plan for spreading the gospel because we're sitting here today. 2,000 years later, people imitated Christ. Then others imitated them and imitated them all the way to us. Much of what we know about who Jesus is and what it means to be a disciple is because we have been a student of someone. So that's the second part. That's what Paul is saying. He's giving this this vivid picture of discipleship. Then this first part. He says, Let those of you who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. What is he talking about here? I believe he's talking about two things. One, he is allowing for his own error or at least his lack of comprehensive examples here. He is saying, this isn't all there is to discipleship. This isn't all there is to being a citizen of heaven. So let the Spirit show you what is lacking in what I'm saying to you. The second thing that he is saying here is that there may be multiple ways to be and make disciples. There may be multiple ways to live out the heavenward call, the upward call of Christ that Christ has placed on your life. One thing we get wrong in discipleship is thinking it means sameness. That we should be like the person discipling us, and that other people need to be like us. It's one of the biggest mistakes that we make in discipleship. Here, Paul is saying, imitate only what you see of Christ in us. Imitate only what you see of Christ in us. And that is what you have to pass on to your student as a teacher, is Christ. There's a lot of preferences you could pass on. There's a lot of ways of doing things. There's a lot of personality you could pass on to someone. But you pass on Christ. That's what he's saying. That's what discipleship looks like. Verse 18 and 19. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Here's the counterexample He's showing us what it looks like when the upward call of Christ is not motivating your actions. He says that it ends in destruction. Proverbs tells us that there's a way that seems right to mankind, but in the end it only leads to death. He is saying here that the opposite of an upward call and keeping our eyes fixed on the kingdom come and focusing on the fact that we're citizens of heaven, it looks like setting our minds on earthly things. Not just getting distracted by earthly things, but setting our mind on earthly things. And he gives us this example of These people, these enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is their destruction and their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. Why does he give us this very crude but very concrete example of what this earthly focused life looks like? I think there's three reasons. One, he is being consistent because throughout the New Testament, Paul and the other writers of the New Testament list gluttony with a lot of heinous sins. It's shocking to read it. It's convicting to read it. But as we read about all these things, and we're like, oh man, that's really bad. That's really bad. They, it's often thrown in there gluttony. It's, so he's being consistent in that way. The second reason that he's throwing this in there is he wants to give us a concrete, vivid example of what it looks like to have our focus on earthly things. To focus on earthly things. And the third reason that Paul is using this example is he wants to prove to us with a very real-life example that what we truly believe impacts our actions. It seems absurd to say that our God is our belly. It seems absurd to say that we have traded the mercy of God for a pair of shoes. But it's in the everyday actions of our life that we show what we truly believe, and it's really frightening. We say we are citizens of heaven. We say we consider everything else lost compared to following Christ. But then we find our God is our belly. Our appetites are our God. Our flesh leads the way. And here, Paul is saying that these folks have gone their own way, their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. These are people that, though they speak the name of Christ and say they are citizens of heaven, their everyday lives show that they do not belong to heaven, and they are not found in Christ. There's examples of this in the world today. There was examples in Jesus' day, the Pharisees. Judas, one of Jesus' very disciples, the Judaizers that were Jews that said that Gentiles had to be circumcised if they wanted to start following Jesus. It were those that spoke the right things with their mouth, but their actions showed that they did not really believe that they were found in Christ. Verse 20, but, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Praise be to God that by the power of the cross, we are made citizens of heaven. You're never going to strive enough to enter into heaven. You're never going to attain it on your own You're never going to give up the things of this world out of your own willpower. Paul is saying here what Jesus said and what the entire Bible says. That if it's on us to overcome sin, we're never going to win. Our end is going to be destruction and we're going to be an enemy of the cross of Christ. But thanks be to God that we can be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from obedience to the law, but is found in Christ, his finished work. Christ calling us his own, us not obtaining salvation, but it being freely granted through what Christ has done for us. This is what makes us a citizen of heaven. Because Jesus, the ultimate citizen of heaven, came and lived the perfect life that you and I cannot. He always did the will of the Father. He always obeyed the upward call on his life. And those that were literally enemies of his, of God's, of the cross, put him on a cross. He died in our place. And three days later, he rose from the grave, showing that he was God. Then he went to be with the Father. And he said, "'I am coming back soon.'" And now you and I can have a righteousness that is not our own. We can live out the upward call of Christ in our life, and we can glorify God with whether we eat or drink or whatever we do. Do our lives show that we are awaiting the return of our Savior? Are we striving after the things that he is after? Is our life committed to seeing the kingdom come? This is the priority. Last week or a couple of weeks ago, we talked about priority and how priorities is a new term in the English language, that we need to have one priority, one goal. This is the goal. Glorifying God in all we do by being and making disciples. This is the upward call of God on our lives. And we can live it out and we can have this new goal because the one who has obtained us, who holds this in his hands, it's not us, but it's Christ. And here we are told that we are held by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's the power holding on to you today if you are a citizen of heaven. The author of Hebrews in chapter 2 verse 8 says that the Father has put everything under Jesus' feet. He has put everything in subjection to him and he has left nothing outside of the control of Christ. Christ controls and holds everything in his hands and he is the one holding on to you and that's good news. That is good news for us today. Philippians 4 verse 1, the next verse. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Are you finding it hard to stand firm? Are the things of this world taking more and more of your time and energy Are you finding it hard to stand firm because of the amount of suffering you have endured, because of living in a fallen world or at the hands of someone else's sin? Are you struggling to stand firm when it seems like the world is teetering and tottering on the verge of destruction? Are you standing firm with the everyday trials that this life has to offer? The only way that we can stand firm is because of what Christ has done for us. And today, he calls you a citizen of heaven. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. This is what it looks like to be a student of Jesus. It's standing firm in what he calls you. It's standing firm because he has called you his own. And his word and his identity that he has given you stands above any opinion you or anyone else has of you so in light of this how should we then live what are the implications from this text first we need to be found in him i want to ask you the question are you a citizen of heaven today Are you a citizen of heaven today? Because the fact of the matter is exactly what it says on the screen. Often those in the kingdom do not have the confidence they should, and often those not in the kingdom have confidence in what they should not. So two realities here. If you are already a citizen of heaven, if you are found in him and his righteousness alone, if you are in Christ because his finished work on the cross has been attributed to you, stand firm. Stand firm against sin. Stand firm for the kingdom of God. Stand firm for living about the kingdom, seeing the kingdom come in your life. Stand firm in the truth of the gospel. Stand firm in what Christ says about you. Stand firm no matter what's happened in your past. Paul says, I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm striving towards what is ahead. Are you not sure? you're a citizen of heaven or are you sure you're not a citizen of heaven? Stop looking for peace and comfort and purpose and goals outside of who God says that you are and the purposes he has for you. Be found in him. There is no way to honor this God. There is no way to live up to his standard on our own. We must be found in Christ. I have had the opportunity to go to a few countries on short-term trips, uh, missions trips. I've been to Italy. I've been to Jamaica and Mexico and Asia. I've been to these countries. I've gotten the t-shirt. I learned some of the language. I learned about the culture. I ate the food. But I am not a citizen of those countries. I was just visiting. There's only one way to be called a citizen of heaven, and that's Christ's work on your behalf. It's not going to church. It's not getting a souvenir. It's not saying all the right things. It's what Christ says about you. And today can be the day of your salvation where you can be called a citizen of heaven. If this is something you desire, or even if you just have questions about this, there's a black box at the back. Uh, There's multiple purposes for that box. One, it's an offering box for financial giving for those that call this their church home, but it's also, there's some cards back there you can fill out. There's one that I put on top tonight called I Believe. Fill that out. Mark the box that says, I have questions. I got questions about this. We would love to meet with you and help you answer those questions. Number two, Strive after the things of the kingdom. Strive after the things of the kingdom. If you are a citizen of heaven, strive after the things of him. Here's the thing. We are really good at a lot of things. We are really good at even becoming experts at things. Many of you are experts in many things. Your profession, your field of study, athletics. So many different things that... We have so many skills that we have acquired. We have so many things that we are becoming experts in. If we go back a hundred years ago, all of us could have been college professors. We know so much. We're good at so many things. But what are we really striving after? What is our one priority? What is our one goal that animates everything else that we do? See, God has called us to a lot of different roles, but he has only called us to one priority, one goal. And that's glorifying him, the upward call of God in Christ on our life. As citizens of heaven, we are called to live like a citizen of heaven and invite more people into citizenship in heaven. That is the priority that he has given us. What are you striving after with how you are using your time, how you are spending your money, what your schedule looks like, what you are setting aside, what you are striving after, what you are sacrificing, the hours you are giving. What are you striving after? Not just with your words, but with your actions. What are the things you need to start doing? What are the things you need to stop doing? What are the things you've been meaning to do? We need to live as citizens of the kingdom. And lastly, be and make disciples. Be and make disciples. Here in Iowa City, uh, I've lived here for 15 years. Um, I still feel new because I lived in Kansas City and for one thing, never pictured living in Iowa. But God has funny stories sometimes. Um, I never expected to live here, but I still feel new. But come to find out I've lived here a while. Fifteen years is like a million years in Iowa City because people don't live here that long. So I've been here 15 years. And so now as new people come to town, they are asking my advice on things around town. That used to be me. I used to be lost in town. I couldn't find anything. The first time I was here, I was looking for pizza. I'm like, I don't know what pizza is good. I want to have local pizza. So I got out the phone book. Anybody know what that is? I got out of the phone book and I just looked for the first pizza place that had a sign like in the phone book and it was like, oh, Sam's Pizza, I'll try that. That's not a good place to start. That's not where I would recommend starting. Don't start with Sam's Pizza, okay? I'll give you that advice right now. Now I know where to tell you to get pizza. Now I know that there's two Bluebird diners, but one has different gravy on their biscuits and gravy than the other one. I can tell you where to go for good coffee. I can tell where tell you where to go to buy a vinyl album. I can tell you where to go to do a lot of different things. It's because I've lived here longer. I'm not an expert in Iowa City, but I can give you some direction if you're new to town. This is discipleship. Being one step ahead of your student. The biggest thing that is keeping you and me from making disciples is we're waiting to obtain perfection. We're waiting to be perfect, we're waiting to be a better disciple, we're waiting to conquer that sin, learn that thing, take that class, whatever it is. But really, we just need to be a student of Jesus, and then we need to help someone else become a student of Jesus. All it takes to disciple someone is being one chapter ahead in scripture. One life stage ahead, one year ahead. You need to conquer one sin and then help someone else conquer that same sin. That's what discipleship looks like. Our goal here at Grace Community Church is to glorify God by being and making disciples who make disciples. So first, the goal, glorify God. The upward call on our life where more and more of our life glorifies him. Number two, be a disciple. Align our lives with what it looks like to be a student of Jesus. Third, you make a disciple. You teach someone else. You, you take a student under your wing and you show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. And you just have to be one step ahead. If you are a citizen of heaven here today, you can disciple someone. And that is what God is calling us to do. Did you know we're going to glorify Him forever in eternity? It's going to be great. But the making disciples will be over. He has left you here on earth to glorify Him by being a disciple who makes disciples. We have a great opportunity to do that here at Grace Community Church because there are a lot of people in this church that are trying to be students of Jesus. I'm not just talking about staff, pastors, community group leaders. A lot of you want to be a student of Jesus, and you have something to share with someone else. There are so many people that are here in this church, and even in Iowa City, because they desire to make disciples here in the university community in downtown Iowa City. There are so many of you that desire so strongly to be a student of Jesus and glorify him in everything you do that has changed your career path. It has changed your decisions on where to buy a house. It has changed your decisions on what to do with your life and others need to learn from you. Not because you are amazing, but because you have an amazing God. And he has called you his own. So let's be students of Jesus who make disciples. And just as Paul just showed us, there's a lot of ways to do this. There's a lot of ways to do this. We do it in community groups. We do it through classes. We do it through biblical soul care. We do it in one-on-one. We do it in groups. There's a lot of ways to do this. You know what? Our meals are an opportunity to make a disciple. The kids running around here at Grace, you have an opportunity to invest in them. I need you to help me disciple my kids. We have so many opportunities to invest in those that are just one step behind us. I want to mention a couple of other specific ways that are very timely here. You saw this in the weekly email that we are starting a ministry for elementary age kids. We have elementary age kids here at Grace, but we are only offered a able to offer regular classes up through kindergarten. So once a month, we would like to have an elementary school time. We have not come up with a better name yet than elementary school time. So if you can think of some fun, churchy, children's ministry word for it, then I'm all ears, but that's what we got so far. So um, it is a children's ministry time for elementary kids. It's going to be once a month right after the service, but we cannot start yet. We need three people that would take that on and say, you know what, once a month I want to meet with some elementary kids and I want to have fun with them and I want to tell them about Jesus and I want to eat some snacks with them. So if that's you, let Bo or myself or Melissa know we'll get you connected. Another way that you can be equipped to make more disciples is through our Biblical Soul Care Weekend Edition. Biblical Soul Care has been one of the uh, amazing ways that we have trained people to make disciples particularly in, in the area of using God's word to help people when they are suffering the most it's how we do biblical counseling it's it's how we try to equip people to do intensive care discipleship when folks are going through a particularly hard time that class to this point has always been on sunday mornings And it's been a big ask for folks that go downtown or work overnight shifts on Saturday or serve on Sunday mornings. And so we have uh, reformatted it, where now it's three weekends, Friday night and uh, Saturday. And you see, um, I'll put a slide up here at the end that has the dates on it, Um, but it's coming up and it starts next weekend, but it's not too late to sign up. You should have got a registration in your weekly email, but you can sign up for that and be equipped to make more disciples, again, you just need to be one step ahead. One step ahead in your healing, one step ahead in your victory, one step ahead in your discipleship to help someone that is right behind you. And this kind of life glorifies God. Being a student of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus, this is the call of our lives. If everything we do here at Grace Community Church is not about this, we're just playing church. This is what our church is supposed to be about because this is what our lives are supposed to be about. And I invite you into living out your citizenship here at Grace Downtown. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus, may the upward call that we have in you be what drives us this week as we look to glorify you by being and making disciples for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.